Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome to this Friday edition of The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Glad to have you here with us for this hour of spiritual direction. And uh, have you ever gotten one of those notifications on your phone that uh, it sends through a massive, massive alarm? Uh, something that'll wake you up out of a dead sleep. Well, a couple of days ago, my wife, Baylen, she and I were both standing in our kitchen and we, we were talking. I just arrived home from work a few minutes earlier and we'd only been chatting for a couple of minutes then about the events of our day, just catching up together. And then both of our stones started, phones started blaring this really loud alarm noise. And we both looked at our phones and we saw the notice that there was a tornado warning in our area, about a half hour south of where we live. And so I ended up pulling up the local television stream on my phone to see the latest update on how fast things were moving, if the, you know, warning if the tornado, possible tornado, was headed up to where our home is located. And thankfully, it was staying south of us. It was heading more to the west. And the warning was only for the next half hour. So everything looked safe for us. But but I was thinking about that loud alarm that both of our phones gave us as that warning for severe or dangerous weather that might hit us, might impact us. And I actually had my phone turned to silent, but that alarm still came through. It was so important for me to know about the possibility of a tornado that even though my phone was silenced, that alarm couldn't be ignored. I needed to know this information, and I needed to know it now. Wouldn't it be nice if we had those kinds of warning alarms that would make sure we knew about really important things in other areas of life? Don't eat that food. It's spoiled. You know, it's going to give you food poisoning and a loud alarm goes off before you bite into that, you know, hamburger or hot dog or piece of chicken or whatever it might be. Don't buy that car. It's a lemon. <laughs> An alarm goes off before you sign any paperwork. Even in our faith life, if you encountered something that was so significant, there would be that alarm or some flashing lights or something to draw your attention to it. Well, when we read through Scripture, we do encounter some of these crucial warnings, but we might not realize how important these warnings are for us because they're words on a page, and they might get lost in all those other words that are on that page and the depths of so much information that's inside the Bible itself. But we do need to be aware of some of those different warnings. Yesterday here on The Inner Life, we spent the hour talking about the ascension of Jesus. And with him ascending to heaven, we explored a bit of what the Scriptures tell us about heaven. But 
There is, of course, another option for the eternal destiny of souls, the possibility of eternal punishment, eternal torment in hell. And in the Gospels, Jesus gives us these warnings, several warnings about hell. So today on The Inner Life, we want to take this hour to look at those warnings and have a better understanding of what Jesus is telling us and what the church teaches about the reality of hell. And we're also going to talk about one of the most misunderstood teachings within the church. We'll also take a look at what purgatory actually is and what it is not here during this hour of The Inner Life today. And I'm very glad to welcome to the program for the hour, joining us as our spiritual director, Father Carter Griffin is back with us once again. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and he's the rector of the St. John Paul II Seminary there in the D.C. area. Uh, Father Griffin, welcome back to The Inner Life. Thank you, Josh. It's good to be back. Well, so... Uh, Heaven, Hell, and Purgatory, three of uh, those possible destinations. And like I said yesterday, talked a little bit about heaven. Um, With looking at Hell and Purgatory today, you know, we have limited knowledge about these three places. And even as I say the word places, because we have limited language and we're finite beings, uh, kind of in the same way if we try and talk about who God is or what God is, we're just going to fall short in how we explain or describe God. So same thing, you know, as I'm talking about a location or a place that is heaven or hell or purgatory, you know, we use these words, but it's really beyond our experience of space and time as we try and comprehend what these places really are for us. Yeah, that's certainly right. Obviously we don't have a personal experience of this. Um, But you know, I, I also think that um, the Lord gave us many instances in his descriptions and his, in, his, uh, in some of those warnings that you were speaking about um, that seem to describe heaven and hell as places of some kind. I mean, we may not understand exactly what, what that will be like. We, we do believe in the, that with the, with the resurrection of the body that we will be fully human, body and soul, in heaven or hell, granted in a glorified way if in case of heaven. So it's true that we can't um, kind of spatially and temporally think of it in exactly the same way, but there is a sense in which we remain fully human, and therefore there is um, a kind of a, a spatial dimension to, to heaven and hell. So right. it's, it's kind of a yes Potentially and yes matter. Sort of thing. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so, so there is, well, and, and obviously Jesus himself you know, after the Incarnation, fully human. Exactly. So, again, well, material, and, and corporeal. Yeah. Exactly, right, right. Yeah. So, so yeah, there is that component that has to be there. So, um, uh, But if, I guess also it might be good to talk about before any of us enter any of these places, heaven, hell, or mm-hmm. purgatory, there are a couple of things that have to happen first. We have to die Um, Or the other option would be the second coming of Jesus. You know, it's going to be one of those two things. And then we face judgment. So maybe can we talk just for a moment here about what judgment is? Because I'm I'm guessing you've probably had similar conversations that I've had where people have this notion that after they die, well, maybe we'll sit down, you know, me and God, and we'll just kind of discuss all the good things and the bad things that I did in life and... But I, I'm a pretty good person. If, if the, the, the good things outweigh the bad, then God will probably let me into heaven. I, I'm in pretty good shape, you know, that kind of idea. Um, mm-hmm. But this is not an accurate understanding 
of what happens after we die. Um, you know, I, but I don't think that's unique to our time. I think this idea of just being a good person that gets you into heaven. It's probably been around throughout most of of you know uh, Judeo Christian belief that oh if I'm if I'm a pretty good person I'll probably make it. Mm, yeah, I, I think it goes up and down over time. Sometimes it's kind of the opposite error, you know, where it just sort of seems like almost no one can go to heaven. Uh, you know, so I mean, there's these different kind of waves that we go through. We're certainly going through the wave you're speaking about, and many don't really acknowledge kind of the majesty of God, or more importantly, perhaps the, the gravity of sin, and and how that it would, you know, serious sin unrepented of would exclude us from the from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is very clear about the, uh, about the fact that there will be an actual judgment, and it's, it's not just a discussion, <laughs> but it's, it's uh, you know, the sheep and the goats. I mean, it's, he says it over and over again in different ways, that there will be a reckoning when we die. Now, that can be misunderstood, uh, as I say, in the other direction, too, where God just becomes this kind of severe, you know, you have, this is the hump, you know, this is the hurdle you have to jump over, and if you get past it, okay, then we'll let you into heaven reluctantly. <laughs> you know, that's not true. Uh, but there is, a, there is a question of judgment related to justice, and uh, we can't ignore that. We can't forget that. At the same time, I think a couple of caveats or a couple of correctives. You know, one of them is that Jesus wants us in heaven. <laughs> that's why he came. That's why he was incarnate. That's why he died right. for us. And so it's not as if he's sort of standing back with his arms folded and wondering if we're going to make it or not. He's right by our side. The Holy Spirit is working constantly to sanctify us if we just allow him. Um, and so there is this, there's a profound desire. God desires the salvation of all, but he also respects our freedom. Um, so I think that's one question. I mean, that's one sort of corrective. The other one is the very word judgment, you know, has a highly legal um, sort of tenor to it. And, and it's true, there is a legal quality to it, there's a justice quality. But there's also a judgment in the sense of judging capacity. So, you know, somebody wants to join a sports team. I mean, you, you know, it's not fair to you if we let you into the sports team and you can't play the game, you know. And so there's a judgment, are you able to, to do this? And, and in heaven, part of the, or the, uh, after death, a judgment, part of it is, is uh, in some ways, the most important part is, is this a soul who is capable of heaven? Um, because I think it was Newman who said that uh, heaven would be hell to an irreligious man, you know, that, mm -hmm. that somehow that anything impure entering into heaven would be annihilated, and it would be, it would be absolute, you know, torture. <laughs> so it, there's this question of have we lived in, uh, in such a way that we've allowed the Holy Spirit to sanctify us so that we, maybe after a period of purification, which we're going to talk about, I know, that we're, you know, but that we're able to live that kind of a life. And if not, if we've excluded ourselves from that and removed ourselves from God's plan for us, um, then hell is something that we've chosen ourselves. So the judgment is, there's a legal quality to it, but there's also kind of this much more personal quality, which does in fact look at our capacity. Well, the other thing that might be good to kind of talk about here too, I think, you know, anybody who has a, a, a correct, solid understanding of the Christian message, mm -hmm. they'll understand it really, you know, while I am called to bring the gospel to be an evangelist, to help those in need, you know, to pr practice the the spiritual and corporal works of mercy, different things like this. These are ways that I participate in my salvation, but my salvation is never reliant upon only my good works. It is completely reliant upon the merits, the, the, the uh, death, the substitutionary death, and, and then the resurrection of Jesus himself. So this idea of, well, if I've done enough good things, 
I'll right. probably get into heaven. You know, that that's a, a falsehood that you really have to look back and say, no, there, there's nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't matter how good of a life you might live. Right. It will always fall short of what is needed to enter heaven. So that judgment idea, too, also comes back to, well, we're all guilty. And the fact yeah. that we have been redeemed, you know, that there is that redemption that takes place, it is all completely reliant upon Christ and only Christ. You know, I like when, uh, I think many have said this, but, you know, Luther made the mistake of saying faith alone because it was, there, there was a, a lack of an understanding or the awareness of the, of the importance of, of works, and clearly our Lord speaks about works all the time, you know, and what we must right, do. Right, right. But, but where he was not wrong, or what, you know, what Catholic authors have said is it's not faith alone, but it is grace alone. Right? I mean, it's only through grace yes. that we that we are able to become fit members of the kingdom of God um, and and ready for the life of heaven. So that's something that it, and that's radically unearned, right? We can't. There's nothing we can do um, to kind of create grace in ourselves. That's something that we have to receive, uh, and that's something that is a pure gift from the Lord, um, especially on the side of the cross that He won that grace for us. Uh, one more question for you here before we uh, move away from the idea of judgment and then look at purgatory, look at hell, look at heaven. Uh, there's Sometimes we'll hear about a particular judgment versus a final judgment. Can you help us understand those two terms, what they mean for us? Yeah, and it's... um. This is where it does get a little bit <laughs> murky, and I mean, it's, we just don't have a lot of... Not, we, we, know t- we know the two things. We know that when we die, there is this particular judgment of our own life, the way that we have corresponded to grace, the way we've lived our life. Um, this is kind of the, the, the sheep and the goats. But then there will be, at the end of time, at the consummation of heaven and earth, there will be this kind of final reconciliation of all. And that's the final judgment in which there will be the resurrection from the dead, um, and there will be kind of the definitive life in heaven, life in hell, um, and those on the way to heaven, perhaps. But that, that sense that there's going to be sort of the judgment of the individual, and then the judgment of, of creation as a whole, in which all of us are a part. Um, and so those are two, the, the, the two decisive moments. How those play out, and especially with some of the texts from Revelation and so forth, is, is, is oftentimes a matter of tremendous debate among even Catholic scholars. But, but that both exist, is, is a, there's no question about it. Talking today with Father Carter Griffin here on The Inner Life and discussing what happens after we die and how we can understand the judgment that we face, but also um, heaven, hell, purgatory. What are these places? What can we know about them? How does that help us to live out our faith here and now? And maybe you have a question about purgatory or about hell, or maybe you have a question about the judgment, what happens after we die, you're welcome to call in at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or you can email us, innerlife@relevantradio.com. Uh, Father, what do we know about hell, about eternal punishment? You know, Jesus has all kinds of different points in the Gospels, where he speaks about, you know, you mentioned the sheep and the goats, you know, that the goats that are separated on the left hand, the ones who didn't help those in need, they are cast into eternal torment, which Jesus says has been prepared for the devil and all of his angels. So we have moments like this where he talks about it. Jesus references hell also by talking about a place called Gehenna, and maybe you can help us understand that. Um, and then he, he has all kinds of different warnings that he gives throughout the scriptures of 
this could be the road to damnation for you. So what what do we know about hell from what Jesus has said and maybe from other places in Scripture? Sure. Well, it'd be, certainly we know, as, as you said, that there it, it's a place of it is a place of punishment. It's a place where it, it's a place we do not want to go to, and and the way that <clears throat> how that punishment is kind of described by scholars and theologians and, and mystics over the over the years has has often been associated with with the fires of hell, with with burning, um, and there does seem to be a lot of evidence for that way of thinking about hell. Obviously, it's just as we were talking about place, I mean, it's sort of a yes and no kind of thing. I mean, you, you know, it, it, there's maybe more unlike than it's like an analogy. You know, it's, it's similar, but there's, it's more unlike than like. But, but nonetheless, this idea of fire sort of burning. Um, but, you know, Colonel Ratzinger somewhere, you know, mentions as well that, that our Lord speaks about the, the grinding of teeth being cast out into the outer darkness. And, and that suggests cold, you know. So I think that's, it, it, there's no reason why kind of to, to draw from each of these kind of intense cold or intense heat. But the point is that what these are all trying to describe is a place of radical uh, isolation, um, isolation from, from, from each other and isolation above all from God, right? That when the soul, which is made to be in union with God, that's why we were created, when the soul has elected to not be in union with God, that there is um, a, a kind of pain that we can't even really conceive of. And it's a choice that we make, and, and the fact that it is definitive and eternal is a sign of God's respect for our freedom, and the fact that He has made us to these one, these wondrous, kind of majestic beings who are able to make this definitive decision about ourselves, you know, with the grace of God, um, or refusing that grace. So we know we know that it's a place of punishment. We know that it's a place we certainly don't want to go to. We also know that it's a place that we can avoid, um, and that Jesus has given us the roadmap, the way, the truth, and the life to 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 be forever with Him, uh, as we were intended to be, which is in union with God in heaven. So um, we know that. Um, I think we also, you know, can say that we know that, um, you know, there, there might be this desire sometimes to think that he- he- that hell in the end will somehow that that God will sort of relent, you know, and in his mercy he'll say, like, okay, fine, that's enough punishment, now you can go ahead and come into heaven. But the problem with that is that it's a strong anthropomorphizing of God. It's turning God, it's, it's making God into the, if I were God, this is what I would do. But the problem is that God, who is infinite justice and mercy, knows what's best, even for the souls that are in hell. Um, I think it's Aquinas who actually says that hell, because it's not as severe a punishment as it really deserve, as as the sinfulness of those people in hell actually deserve, is actually kind of a, is actually a, a type of mercy, uh, and in fact, bringing those souls who have chosen to live in a different way and to be separated from God into heaven, as I mentioned earlier, would be infinitely worse than being in hell. Um, having said that, there are still sort of speculations, I suppose, about ways that hell um, would be lived out. Could it could it you know become a place of sort of natural happiness or whatever? And people have tried to make those kind of arguments. There's not a lot of scriptural um, evidence for that. I mean, I. I suppose they've tried to do it in such a way that's, that's consistent with the Catholic faith. Um, but what we know from the lips of Jesus uh, is, I'm afraid, kind of fairly dark and eternal. Right. Well, yeah. how about that name Gehenna? Can you, can yeah. you explain what Gehenna was, the significance of Jesus using that as a descriptive word or idea or place for hell? Sure. Yeah. I mean, Gehenna was a an understanding of a place apart from God. I mean, it was it was a it was a Hebrew understanding uh, or Sheol rather. And you know that, the, that Jesus used these terms um, in a slightly different way, and, and he suggested that 
um, I may get these two mixed up now, but Sheol was was that place that it seems to refer more to hell. Whereas, and one of the one of the suggestions is that you know many texts that Jesus will will speak about this kind of in between place. Maybe this is anticipating our conversation on purgatory. You know, when he talks about you know make friends quickly with your accuser, lest he put you in prison, and then you'd have to until you pay the last penny. You know. Um, um, you know, when Jesus preached to the to the dead, you know, and the disobedient servants from First Peter, um, different places like that. Saint Paul talks about you know that someone will suffer loss, um, but only as through fire. You know, he'll be, he'll be saved, but only as through fire. He'll be saved, so, right, like, right? Yeah, there'll be these sort of instances where there seems to be almost an in between kind of place, and and when he refers to those, sometimes those are referred to as. Um, as Gehenna. So not that Gehenna is purgatory, but, but there is this understanding of an in-between place, which is neither heaven nor hell, which has been, which has helped to inform kind of the Catholic magisterial, kind of the understanding of purgatory over time, which is clearly something that has developed over time. I mean, I think when the Protestants say it's not clearly referred to in the Bible, you know, uh, I mean, they're, they're right in a certain sense, right? They're, but, but there's many things that the Church has, over time, right. taken the seeds that are found in the Bible, and over time, with the grace of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, has been able to define more clearly. That, that's exactly right. Yeah, the word Trinity is never used in Scripture, yeah, yeah. yet we believe in a triune God. Even Scripture itself, it's not like the Bible gives us an exact, uh, you know, the the... The books that are truly part of the canon, we don't have that list anywhere. That's been, you know, defined by the church itself. So there, there's all kinds of different areas that you can look and say, well, Scripture can't be the end-all, uh, you know, the, the only reference where we can look for some of these. We also have to be able to look to, you know, the church that Christ founded himself and, and how the Holy Spirit leads the church. Again, today talking yep. with Father Carter Griffin here on The Inner Life about hell, about purgatory, uh, what happens after we die, and ultimately, I mean, this really is an hour of how do we make sure that we're prepared when God calls us home, and how, how have you been doing that in your life? What are the things that you do to make sure that you're on that right path, that you're staying in relationship with God? Maybe you have a question about hell or about purgatory, about what happens when we die. You're welcome to call in at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com, and we'll continue our conversation in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Purify my heart Let me be as gold Silver, purify my heart. Welcome back to The Inner Life. You're listening to Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and our spiritual director for the hour, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., the rector of the St. John Paul II Seminary. Uh, also, he has a book that goes into even more detail on some of the different things we're talking about here. Today, we're talking about 
heaven and hell and purgatory, um, what those, what the church teaches about those, what we can learn from Scripture. But if you'd like to read a little bit more, you can get Father Griffin's book. It's called Cross-Examined, Catholic Responses to the World's Questions. And uh, we're also taking your phone calls today here as we talk about purgatory, as we try and understand what hell is, what it is not, of course, as well. And uh, if you have a question, uh, you're welcome to call in, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Uh, Father, picking kind of back up on our conversation about hell, uh, before we move into purgatory, th- I think one of the biggest questions that we have, and, and you kind of referenced this a little, you know, with the 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 response of that God is so perfect— mercy that if somebody were to enter heaven, and I think you were referencing St. Thomas Aquinas here, that heaven would be the wrong place for somebody who has already turned their back on God, and God is being in, you know, a way that maybe we can't quite grasp, but he's even being merciful to that person himself. But it really comes down to kind of, I think, this big question, and this this also comes, you know, in that realm of suffering, but you know, God himself, if God is all good, all loving, how could he ever send anyone to hell or to eternal punishment? And, you know, it's a difficult question. It's something that I think humanity has wrestled with for centuries and centuries, sure. millennia, yeah. you know. How, how, do, how do we understand God as best as we can as finite beings, this infinite God, understand how, if he's all good, if he's all love, that he doesn't just bring everyone directly to heaven. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a great question. It's a, it's a really important question. Um, it's one that will, in the end, perhaps not be entirely satisfying to everyone. Um, but I think it, you know, we have to put this whole question in the key of love, I think, that love is something that requires a personal choice. And um, denying the possibility of rejecting love is is also kind of denying the possibility of choosing love, right? And so we, we have this true um, and kind of awesome and awful freedom that we have been given and entrusted with, and we have a choice to make in our lives. We have many choices to make in our lives, but there's kind of that fundamental choice of are we moving, you know, which direction do we want to continue to move in our lives? Um, you know, salvation is never going to be forced upon us. Um, it's a free invitation to accept or, re- or reject God. Um, so that's one point to make. Um, and oh, by the way, I also wanted to just correct myself. I had those two words mixed up, Sheol and, and Gehenna. <laughs> so the abode of the dead is, is usually called Sheol and uh, Gehenna, which is always the hell of the damned. Um, and that Gehenna that, that Jesus talks about, we're trying to, um, obviously we want to live our lives in such a way to avoid, is, is an essential part of, the, of, of, our, of our faith in this sense that, you know, Jesus came um, in order to save us. And if there's nothing to save us from, then we don't need a Savior. And so part of, I mean, it's true, when we look at hell, it can be a little bit hard. It is hard. And to say, well, how could God, you know, a merciful God, allow this to take place? I would sort of reverse it and say, you know, that, you know, what's amazing is not that the damned cannot repent and that they cannot change. What's amazing is that we can. And to sort of sort of turn it on its head and say, like, this is an option, you know, this is a freedom that we've been given to exercise and exercise well. And the fact that God takes that seriously and that we, and, you know, and after death, there's this kind of full integration of ourselves, right? That, that, that we have this opportunity here on earth and in this life 
this great factory of holiness that is the cosmos, you know, to, to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, uh, to work it out with the power of grace, knowing that God wants us to use our, use our freedom well and will give us every means to do that, every opportunity to repent and convert. Um, but at the end of the day, he's not going to force anything. And because we die and there's a kind of a completion to ourselves, that is, as we understand it, why heaven and hell are both eternal. Because he would be fundamentally changing our natures, which he's not going to do. That's, that's part of the, the mm-hmm. dignity and the majesty of man, of, of, of humankind. Um, and so it, it is compatible with God's justice and his mercy that heaven and hell are both eternal, um, and that those two, justice and mercy and God, are always perfectly united. And there has to be a level of trust, you know, we his creatures, and, and, and sort of say that we, God knows what he's doing, and that this is, in fact, the most merciful and the most um, beautiful thing that he could have done. There's this, um, if, if anyone hasn't read Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, it's, it's not a doctrinal book. It's not trying to make doctrinal statements, but he, somewhere in there he talks about this very question, and somebody says, well, how can the people in heaven be happy knowing that there are people in hell who are not? And <clears throat> I'm going to paraphrase now, but Lewis says something like, it would be a gross injustice if those who have chosen to separate from, themselves from God could hijack the happiness of those in heaven, you know, and, and the, the souls in heaven are so fully aware of the goodness of God, you know, that they know that his, that his sort of destiny, you know, or the, the, the destiny chosen by the souls in hell and the souls in heaven is perfectly just and perfectly merciful. But that, de- that depends upon, as I say, the key of love. Do we trust and love God enough to say he knows what is best? Yeah. Well, and even in The Great Divorce, all the people who have the opportunity to journey on to that heavenly mountain that, you know, C.S. Lewis kind of paints they there not to. in the yeah. imagery, um, yeah. they, they all have people that are coming who, who are part of that heavenly kingdom and are trying to help them to see past, but the people who don't want to let go of that thing that is so important to them that they held on to in their lives on earth, um, you know, it, the, they just they just won't be happy if they don't have that thing that kind of is making them miserable. And nobody's going to force them to let go of it. They'll try and persuade them as much as possible and tell them, it'll be better if you just let go of that. But um, but nobody forces them. So there's that free will side there, too. You know, I I also want to go back to what you were talking about with, you know, the love of God and that we don't look at hell as being, you know, that it's, it's, you know, why would God not allow somebody to repent? It's the fact that, isn't it amazing that we do get to repent? You know, looking at that, that kind of other side of the coin there, I grew up in a Protestant church where that idea of hell, uh, not always, but it, it was, it was not uncommon for it to be kind of a scare you into heaven kind of tactic, you know, scare you to be good so you don't get punished. And, of course, that can motivate someone to modify or change their behavior, but it misses out on so many different things that are communicated throughout, especially the New Testament scriptures, you know, the mercy of God, God is love, our sins can be forgiven, God cares for us, and we can call him our Father, you know, that Jesus calls us friends, we've been adopted into the family of God, all, all these things that center around the goodness and the immeasurable love of God, not on that fear side, the fear of punishment or that God is out to get us if we do just that, if we just mess up, you know, oh, he's going to get you. Um, So, you know, while it's important for us to have that proper understanding, that proper knowledge of hell, 
that shouldn't be the motivating factor for us in our faith journey. If we're only going to Mass, if we're only receiving the sacraments out of a sense of fear of possible punishment if we do the wrong thing, we're really missing out on the relationship and all of the good things God wants to share with us. Uh, yeah, and I think it's, it's again, it's, it's a kind of a, uh, a both-and or a yes-and-no kind of thing. I mean, at the beginning stages, you know, in the sometimes called the purgative way, I mean, the fear of hell can be very, very helpful. I mean, when somebody is, is striving to overcome a certain sin, something that's keeping them from God um, and from the Eucharist, for, for instance, I mean, knowing that this is a serious matter and that they, you know, would if they died, they would go to hell. That's the teaching of the Church. and goes back all the way to the beginning. Um, I mean, that can be a very uh, sort of salutary fear. Um, but you're exactly right. It, it, you know, a, a child needs to have fear sometimes, you know, to, to do the right thing because they're being trained. But, I mean, if a 22-year-old child is doing that, well, then, you know, with the parents, I mean, there's something wrong now because the child is supposed to grow up and have a certain degree of maturity, and then it becomes not doing the wrong thing, and, you know, doing the right thing because he wants to and because he wants to, you know, live a good life and, and be a, a virtuous person and so forth. And similarly in the spiritual life, it, it sometimes starts, and, and we shouldn't be too proud to, to, to realize if we're still at the first stage is that it can be helpful to say, I need to avoid that because that, you know, would, would, would lead me to, to lose my, the state of grace. But it can't end there. You know, the whole point is to enter into this beautiful, loving relationship where it's, it's more like Jesus is telling, look, you cross that street, you could get hit by a car. And a good father is yeah. going to tell his sons and daughters that. Um, so he's, he's giving us those warnings, what you were starting out with, the t- tornado warning. Um, but then you enter into this deep relationship and you realize how much he uh, wants us to grow in that maturity and that freedom so that we increasingly do things out of love and not out of fear. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, only out of love. I mean, that love casts out all fear, right? right? Right, right. Uh, let's okay. One other, one other question for you here before we move on into the realm of purgatory and and kind of exploring that, understanding that again. Our spiritual director today, Father Carter Griffin, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington D.C., as we talk about hell, about purgatory, about understanding what happens after this life here on earth. And our phone number, if you have any questions, eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. So we have a couple of different places in the New. Testament that might sound like they're a bit contradictory or might give us, you know, just a pause. One is uh, Peter. St. Peter writes in his second letter in the New Testament that God is patient with us. He doesn't wish that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You know, gives this nice sound of God wants everyone to eventually be in heaven if it's possible. Um, You know, we can't ignore that God has given every human free will to make their choices, but wants everybody to come to salvation. On the other side of this, we hear words from Jesus himself, and this is in the seventh chapter of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus says, "'Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and those who enter through it are many.'" how narrow the gate and constricted the road that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That ends up sounding a bit worrisome. You know, only a few will find the road to life. So how do we understand what Jesus is saying along with what Peter writes in his letter? How few, how many, you know, is this something where, again, I should be concerned? Am I really on the road to salvation, on the road to life? 
Well, um, I mean, I think one thing to say, first of all, is just that the church has always been extremely modest in trying to identify numbers anywhere, you know, when it comes to eschatological right. or, you know, supernatural realities like this. And when Jesus says few will find it, I mean, it could well be that he's speaking precisely about um, kind of that call to perfection, you know, you must become perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect, which is enjoyed by the souls in heaven. And that is often something that is not complete in this life, you know, and that's precisely as sort of a good segue to when we talk about purgatory. Um, that in fact, that many have chosen the broad way, have, have, not re- have not rejected God, have not turned away from God, or in a state of grace, but have a lot of, a lot of kind of um, correct, you know, a lot of healing still needed in their soul. They, and, and, and that's why it, many perhaps choose that way. And so it could be that our Lord is speaking about the fact that many souls do need purgatory before they're ready for heaven, but a few have, in fact, you know, some of the great saints who die and immediately go to heaven um, are, in fact, have chosen that narrow way. But I think more, even more important than that is, I mean, our Lord is speaking about a way of thinking about our life, you know, that, that sometimes we can just give into sloth in so many different ways and just kind of take the easy way out. And the fact yeah. is that the Christianity, you know, living a Christian life, while it's not because it's difficult, we don't choose something that's difficult just because it's hard, but that, that living a serious Christian life is going to take some, it's going to take, it's going to take conversion, it's going to take repentance, and we're going to, I mean, it may not be in huge big things, maybe it's small things in our relationships or whatever, but, but always advancing, you know, and always, I think it's maybe St. Teresa of Avila, I think is used as an example of like going up like a, a mountain with pebbles, you know, that, that the ground is pebbles. I mean, if you want to go up the mountain, you have to keep walking. You have to keep moving, because otherwise you just start sliding down. <laughs> you know, and so that challenge uh, is very real in that. At the same time, you know, God is on our side. I mean, he does want us in heaven with him. That's why it were made, and that's why heaven exists. And so when St. Peter speaks about his patience, you know, I mean, sometimes, I mean, I'm, I imagine most of us could look back and say, like, thank heavens God gave me more time because I needed time to repent and I needed time to change and to become more the person that he wants me to be or that I am able to be, that he made me to be, so I could live with him in heaven. And so it's seeing that patience of God, too, and his desire um, for our salvation that St. Peter speaks about there and St. Paul speaks about to Timothy um, are, are important reminders for us as well, especially if we do have a little bit of sense of, of fear that, you know, is God kind of this, this, this judge up there, with you know, again, with the folded arms, you know, kind of, you know, looking down his nose at us and sort of thinking, you know, I wonder if he'll make it or not. You know, it's not. He's, he's, a, he's our best cheerleader and our help. Yeah. Again, talking with Father Carter Griffin here on The Inner Life today, 888-914-9149 is the phone number to call in and join us here in the studio, 888-914-9149. Uh, need to go to a break in just a minute, but let's go to the phones first. We've got Salvador, who's calling in from California. Salvador, thanks for joining us here on The Inner Life. You're on the air with Father Carter Griffin. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, yeah, I mean, th- thank you guys for all you do. I mean, you, you've changed so many lives, including mine, and uh, continue to do the great job that I got to you guys to do. And uh, I'm also a donor for uh, Relevant Radio, and um, so blessed and happy to have found you guys. Mm. Well, uh, thank you so much. That is, means so much, Salvador. Yeah, my question is, uh, if if one goes to heaven and his spouse, father, son, or daughter goes to hell, would, I, would that person be suffering in heaven because his family member is in hell? Uh, would that suffering be forever in heaven, even if you're in heaven? Salvador, that's a, uh, it's a fantastic question, and it's a, and it's a hard one, you know, because I think we're trying to put ourselves in the position of uh, someone who is enjoying the beatific vision, who is with God, 
and knows so perfectly, utterly clearly the goodness of God, the wisdom and the majesty and the, and the mercy of God, um, and will know it so through and through. Like for us, we're learning it kind of in our minds, and maybe it filters into our hearts a little bit, but the saints are completely uh, immersed in a wash in the mercy and the glory of God. And so it's true that we can't see how somebody in heaven whose loved ones are not in heaven with them or in hell, um, how that person can still be happy. Um, but it is, in fact, of, fa- of, of our faith that, you know, that a soul in union with God is perfectly happy. Um, and so that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that they sort of forget or that they lose, but they know that, that this is the way it should be, that this is right, you know, that the, that the soul is, in fact, even the soul that has separated itself from God is being respected by God even in that moment um, and, and, and even loved by God in that moment in a way that that soul is capable of being loved. Uh, but how that looks and how that feels is simply something beyond beyond our capacity. As I said from the C.S. Lewis thing, it would be a great injustice to the souls in heaven if the souls in hell could hijack their happiness, you know, and rob their happiness. And how that plays out and how that's lived out in the hearts and minds of the saints in heaven um, is there's a, there's a mysterious dimension there. But we can certainly understand that it would be possible, you know, and it's sort of an act of faith there, I suppose. Salvador, thanks for the call. And again, our phone number here, 888-914-9149. As we talk with Father Carter Griffin here on The Inner Life today about the reality of hell, about purgatory, about what happens after this life, and you're welcome to call in and join the conversation, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back with more with Father Carter Griffin and more of your phone calls right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today we'd like to thank Elizabeth, who's listening in Washington, for donating her Volvo. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating your old vehicle by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Glad to have you with us here during this hour as we talk about hell and understanding purgatory, what happens after this life. And maybe you have a question about the topic. You're welcome to call in 888-914-9149. I want to say thank you to Thomas Engesser and Maggie Greshel for their help today in producing the program. And I uh, also want to say thank you to Father Carter Griffin, our spiritual director here. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., rector of the St. John Paul II Seminary. Also um, mentioned earlier, but again, he has a book that goes into even more detail on some of the common questions that are posed not only in regards to purgatory or hell or heaven, but so many other different um, common questions that we encounter in the world. Uh, The book is called Cross-Examined, Catholic Responses to the World's Questions, and you you can pick that up um, to read more from Father Griffin himself. Again, our studio line, 888-914-9149. Father, let's talk about purgatory for a moment here, too. One of the most misunderstood teachings, I think, within the Catholic Church, and I've had conversations with both Catholics and non-Catholics, where both of them get it wrong. You know, some people think, well, this is a second chance after you die. Some people think, well, it's some sort of waiting place after you die, but you could still go to heaven, you could still go to hell. Uh, Can you kind of help clear up some of these misconceptions for us and help us understand what really is the Church's teaching on purgatory? Sure, yeah. So the place of purgatory... 
Purgatory is is where a soul goes when it is in a state of grace when it when it when the person dies, um, and yet uh, is not fully perfected. There is what's called temporal punishment that is associated with sin. There's eternal punishment for those who have separated themselves from God. But but all sin has a kind of wound that is left in the soul. Um, there are different ways of sort of describing that, uh, analogies and so forth. But the point is that sin has an effect on us that it hurts us, which is why which is why God hates sin because it hurts His children, <laughs> you know, and so. Sin has an effect on us, and that still needs to be purified and worked through so that we are de- attached only to God. Uh, and most of us, perhaps, you know, I just use a, uh, you know, I, I suspect most of us will, will not be in that position at the moment of our death. And so it's this great, merciful, um, uh, sovereign act on the part of, of, of our Lord to make us fit even after we die to enter heaven. It's not. It's not a place where someone goes and is able to repent or convert, you know, and turn back to the Lord as a second chance or something like that. Um, and, 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 and neither is it a um, kind of just a, a waiting place to see where, you're, you know, like you're waiting on judgment or something like that. The judgment, the particular judgment, as we said at the beginning of the, of the show, has is, is, is already taken place. Um, and so the souls that are in purgatory are on their way to heaven. Uh, it's a place of profound, almost pure hope, right, because they, they know that they are moving, that they are moving towards, towards heaven. Um, and so, and, and and the destiny of every soul in purgatory will be eternal life, um, but some souls will need obviously more purification than others. So anyway, to correct those two, at least initial misconceptions. Right. Well, another thing, you know, I, I mentioned this at the beginning of the hour too. You know, when we talk about heaven, when we talk about hell, when we talk about purgatory. We're talking about, you know, them in language that we understand, but, you know, purgatory as a place, it it might not even be a physical place. I I don't think the Church ever defines it as that. It could even just be a process that we go through. I know, you know, in the past there have been questions raised about, well, if you you pray this many, you know, uh, prayers, you might get this many days or years off in purgatory. But even that concept of time that we have here it's it's not necessarily something that translates into what purgatory might be so th- there's a lot more that that we probably don't know about it than what we do know about it yeah particularly because you know when we die our soul is separate from our bodies um and in fact it's kind of an interesting cl- uh, argument that thomas aquinas makes about sort of almost a quasi rational argument for the resurrection of the body is that you know, we're not, in fact, fully human. There's an imperfect quality to the soul separated from the body because the human being is a body and a soul. And so there is this yearning to be reunited to the body, which God fulfills in the, in the, in the resurrection of the dead. Um, but purgatory is this, and so, and so heaven and hell, I think it's more reasonable to speak about them as places, you know, in some glorified way. Whereas purgatory is the soul sort of detached from the body, and, and so the, purga- the purgation, in a sense, can happen in a spiritual in a spiritual sense, without necessarily thinking of it as a, as a place. The, the question of time is interesting. You know, the, you used to have like you know, 300 days off pur- whatever, and, you know, with doing this penance or something like that for a soul in purgatory. But the understanding of the, um, of the church, Pius XII goes into this, and it's, it wasn't really like days in purgatory necessarily. It was days of penance on earth to relieve the souls in purgatory, as if that soul had done 300 days of, of such and such a penance mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but in any event, it, it, even if the church had been at one time in some of the in some of the the documents more kind of literalistic, I suppose about time and place um, in these after you know in the, in the afterlife, I think she sort of moderated some of that language since. I mean, these were never kind of aspects of 
you know, central to the faith or anything like that. It was just more like the wording right. could have been a little confusing sometimes. Well, out of the three different places, heaven, hell, and purgatory, it, it would seem to me, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but once the last person, once the last human leaves purgatory and enters heaven, purgatory would no longer be needed, at least not for humans. So it would seem right. to be, you know, heaven and hell are eternal. Maybe purgatory is not an eternal place or state or process or whatever it might be. Yeah, I think that's right. I don't know if that's ever been defined necessarily by the church. Maybe it has been, but but certainly heaven and hell are those that Scripture you know, indicates are eternal. Uh, Father, let's go back to the phones. We've got April, who is listening to us in South Florida. April, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air with Father Carter Griffin. Hello, thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. How you doing, April? Yeah, go right ahead. Um, Thank you. So my question is um, how to offer support uh, or spiritual support for someone who has survived a near-death experience. Um, Just from a personal standpoint, my father, uh, he survived a ruptured aortic aneurysm and uh, all the odds were against him and he and he survived and he's thankfully doing fantastic um his recovery has actually really been quite miraculous thank god but um spiritually i kind of want to figure out how to help him a little bit more so that he can he can heal from this this incredible trauma that he's been through yeah well, it's interesting because, you know, I think it can sometimes go in either direction. I mean, sometimes the, the trauma can be one that makes someone really um, kind of more fearful, frankly, about about dying and about, about you know, heaven, hell, and, and purgatory, as we've been talking about. Um, and in that case, I think certainly, uh, you know, helping someone draw closer to to Christ and the, and the mercy of Christ, you know, reading the scriptures, for example, the, the story of the prodigal son, you know, praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet, things like this that can that can just remind us of the goodness and the power of our Savior. You know, reading the reading the stories of his exorcisms. You know, I mean, Jesus didn't exercise just to kind of relieve that individual soul, but to show us that he has complete command. You know, and he is stronger than anything else out there, right? And and when we're united to him, we're on the winning team, and he's going to make sure that we have all the grace that we need in order to be saved, you know, in order to, to live forever. Um, that's his most earnest desire. And so helping someone who maybe has had a fearful experience come to a deeper appreciation for the goodness um, and, the, and the, the kindness, you know, the generosity, the mercy of, of Christ our Lord um, would be, I think, a, the, the, the essential thing, you know. On the other hand, you know, many people, and it, it may be true in the long run, maybe this is kind of a more of a near-term shock, but in the long run, oftentimes people have those experiences and, uh, you know, find a lot of peace in knowing that, that you know, kind of reconciling themselves to their mortality and, and sort of re- realizing that this is a, that they've been given this, this window of time, you know, as, as we were saying earlier from Peter, you know, that, that patience of God to give us a chance to, to maybe reform our lives in some ways and to maybe reconcile to people that we need to be reconciled to, to maybe break some bad habits. You know, and so it can be this wonderful sense of joy and gratitude that we have some more time to prepare ourselves for, uh, in this life to prepare ourselves for the next. So I think it somewhat depends also yeah. on kind of accompanying him and staying with him as he's kind of, you know, recovering from that trauma. April, thanks so much for calling in. Apologies to those of you who called in, and we just didn't have time to get you on the, the program. Uh, thank you, Father Carter Griffin, for being with us here today. And before we wrap up, uh, we've got about 20 seconds. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? 
Sure, I'd be happy to. I can't believe the hour's already done. I know. <laughs> May the blessing of Almighty God descend upon you, Josh, and all of, all of those who are listening to us now and forever, and always keep you on the road to heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks again, Father Griffin, for being here with us. And thank you for being a part of the program as well. If you joined us late, you always hear me say it. If you're a regular listener, grab the podcast. It'll be available at relevantradio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. And stay tuned. We've got Mass coming up next, The Faith Explained, right after that. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and enjoy the long Memorial Day weekend. We'll see you back here on Tuesday.